So I'm hyperventilating a little bit. If I fall over, pick me up because I've got some things to say. Though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group they're rather stupid. That men are essential for procreation, but when it comes to pleasure, unnecessary. Dinosaurs eat men. Woman inherits the earth. Safety lights are for dudes. Safety lights are for dudes. <laughs> well, put some skates on. Be your own hero. Hey, the New York Kristen. Yeah. Lord. Please give it up for the dazzling vocal stylings of Miss Skimmerler. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 98 of Baby Yoda Podcast, where <laughs> all we talk about all day long is Baby Yoda. No? No? We shouldn't do that? It's the Baby Yoda Show! <laughs> Starring Baby I mean, Yoda! <laughs> Baby Yoda has taken over our lives, and yeah. Um, Alright, well, anyway, okay, fine, this is the Citizen Dame Podcast, but it is still episode 98, I was telling the truth about that. And I am Karen Peterson, joined, as always, by my lovely and talented co-host, Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Hello! Lauren, how are you today? I I am good. I am good. I am ecstatic about talking about Baby Yoda for sixty minutes. I'm literally yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, that's the only thing I see on the agenda here. So <laughs> let's just you know get right into it. <laughs> oh my gosh, now it's been such a crazy week. I'm glad to have some time to just chat about good things. You know, somehow I mean, there's some dumb people on this agenda today, and some yes. things that we have to talk about that we don't necessarily want to, but really no garbage to discuss this week so that's progress right that's a good thing yeah no unless you want to count my run in with the Zack Snyder fans that that was pretty fun but uh yeah no garbage people generally yeah <laughs> right yeah I mean there's always there's always garbage to deal with when you're a woman who has an opinion especially on the internet but uh but yeah <laughs> um <laughs> Well, you know what? I've had a lousy, terrible week. It has really sucked. So let's just go right into happy things. And let's just talk a little bit about how Baby Yoda really, truly has just taken over the internet (laughs) and our lives. And uh, it's funny because we actually got a listener question this week from our buddy James at JKC Hart, who deserves to adopt Baby Yoda. And... I have to say, I don't understand the question because my child is not up for adoption. So, I mean. We can co-parent. We could co-parent Baby Yoda. <laughs> all right. All right. I guess I'll I'll agree to joint custody. <laughs> um, yeah. So, of course, for people who are still wondering what the fuck Baby Yoda is all about. Um, <laughs> You've not so. obviously not been around the internet because Baby Yoda is just the internet now. Like that's it. pretty much. I mean, he controls all of our lives, and I am fine with that. I feel like cancel the debates, cancel the election next mm-hmm. year. Baby Yoda just needs to run things. I think he'll do a much better job than anybody else that wants to apply for it. So. Ba- Baby Yoda twenty twenty. Come on. Exactly. Let's make it happen. Um. Yeah. So. Uh, what happened was, this is a new character that was introduced in the very, very tail end as a total surprise. This is why I think this is the, I think Baby Yoda is 100% the real reason that Disney would not send out screeners for the Mandalorian. 
That makes <laughs> you sense. cannot convince me otherwise. Yeah. That makes sense, actually, because pe- <laughs> people would have been, there would have been hints running around. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Exactly. And so, um, yeah, so very tail end of the first episode. So if you haven't subscribed to Disney Plus yet and found this out, um, surprise, <laughs> go do it now. Um Disney has not endorsed this podcast and they do not pay us to say that, but uh, The Mandalorian is awesome and you should check it out. So, um, but yeah, and so Baby Yoda is a character that's going to be in the show and look, we don't know who he is. Obviously, he's not Baby Yoda because he's 50 years old and uh, was born before Yoda died. So we don't know who he is, though. And I'm excited to find out. Lauren, why don't you talk a little bit about how awesome and adorable and perfect our child is he's totally baby yoda like i don't i don't know i don't even know you're talking about like there was someone on on the internet that was trying to like figure out because when yoda dies he says that he's 900 Mm -hmm. and and someone on the someone was like trying to figure out you know like what that means so could this possibly be actually baby yoda um and i i I don't care. It's it, to me, he's definitely Baby Yoda. Honestly, I I don't have Disney Plus. I am not watching The Mandalorian. I am literally just seeing clips of Baby Yoda <laughs> and gifts of Baby Yoda, and I want him for my own. So that's really all that's going on here. True. I mean, truly, you know, D- Disney does know how to create fucking adorable things, and this is they one of really the most do. adorable things that they have ever done. I even sent gifts to my parents and my dad was like oh my god what is happening i was like that is baby yoda it's just like baby yoda why is there a baby it's just because he's a baby and he's yoda obviously (laughs) there is no need to answer why that's not a valid question he just exists and we should be damn happy about it he's just so cute he's so cute oh my gosh (laughs) i know i i seriously I can't handle the cute. Like, I keep seeing all these gifts. I have not watched episode three yet, but just watching it, because he's in all of episode two, because now he's not a surprise anymore. And so he's in the entire second episode, and he's just, like, I'm, I seriously, like, I love babies. I don't have any, but I love them. I love when they belong to other people, and I can hand them back when they start crying and getting fussy or need a Mm -hmm. diaper change. But I just, like... I love to watch them, especially when they're tiny and new. Um, And that's just how I feel about Baby Yoda. Like, I'm just so mesmerized by every, every breath. Like, oh, he's sleeping. Oh, how cute. You know? Oh, he blinked. Like, it's adorable. Oh, my gosh. Like, I've lost my damn mind over this, this little creature. (laughs) Like, I don't even remember what happened in the second episode because I was just so fascinated by how cute baby yoda was honestly based upon everything that i have seen online my understanding (laughs) of the mandalorian is that it's all about baby yoda doing (laughs) cute things like that is that's because that's that is almost literally all that i have seen about the mandalorian uh it's just like baby yoda like oh yeah totally okay yes it's the adventures of baby yoda okay got that sounds good there's a um yeah, there's an Animal Planet show that my friends and I discovered by accident or chance one night a week or two ago. We were all just, like, having a really lousy week. We just needed something just nice and pleasant. And I don't know how we found it. I think we were on Hulu. And we just came across this show called Too Cute. 
Yes, I've seen this. Oh, oh my gosh. I was like, they just need to do... That just needs to be what the Mandalorian is. is just the too cute version of Yoda. Like, baby Yoda. And I would just... Yeah. I would sit there and just watch a half hour of him every day of just being adorable. Honestly, if they had any sense, they would actually just, just make, like, a, a, <laughs> The Adventures of Baby Yoda. Like, honestly, it's... it's uh, it's perfect. Adults would watch it. Little children would watch it. Everybody would love it. No, you know what they should totally do? Like, they could easily do this. They could just run it on a loop and it would work. But, you know, <laughs> this sounds so stupid, but you know those cameras they have at the zoo? <laughs> <laughs> like, Disney Plus should set up, like, a like a fake live stream of Baby Yoda. <laughs> And just, oh like, d- program some different... I would I would seriously turn on... Like, if I just need something on, like, while I'm working on stuff, I would turn that on. I would do it. Well, Shudder actually did something <laughs> similar. They they did the gulags every Halloween, oh. right? And, uh-huh. well, the, the gulags where, where it's just... Um, uh, it's like a, a pumpkin uh, or a jack-o'-lantern, and then there's stuff that happens in the room behind it and things like that. So, actually, it's not a film, but things do happen. So they could totally uh-huh. do something like that with Baby Yoda, where it's just like, oh, it's Baby Yoda hanging out, and then every <laughs> once in a while he actually does something. I would, like, yeah, people would watch yeah. it. People would totally I would watch, watch it. the hell out of that. It would be the people, biggest thing ever. <laughs> people watch live streams of, you know, baby giraffes being born, so yep. why would they not mm-hmm. watch Baby Yoda just, like, hanging out, being yeah. Baby Up Yoda? here in our mountains, yeah, up here in our local mountains, there's, um, <laughs> there's, like, a I don't know. Are eagles like they don't? I don't know. There's like a, a nest cam for this this eagle that had a nest mm-hmm. and had babies, and yeah, you could just sit there and watch. And it's out in nature. This isn't like part of a zoo or part of a preserve. Yeah. It's just like someone climbed up in a tree and put a camera on this nest, and people watch <laughs> it. <laughs> it's the eagle cam. <laughs> And those Thanks. eagles are really cute, but not as cute as Baby Yoda. <laughs> All right. I guess we should probably move on to other things, I guess. Yes. Whatever. If anything happens to Baby Yoda, we will riot. I mean, oh, like... Oh, yeah. I, I have seen so many suggestions about, like, Baby Yoda is actually a Sith Lord or something like that. I was just like, don't <laughs> do that to Baby Yoda. Don't nope. He is pure. He is pure and perfect. And he is going <laughs> to save us all. Oh god. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how old he is then in oh shit. Cause Mandalorian takes place before The Force Awakens and we've never heard of him. I don't know. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> he's just he's out there just, somewhere being wonderful. He's, yeah, he's out there somewhere being being baby Yoda. Like that's it. Exactly. He's just like <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Alright. Living his so, best life. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. And catching bad guys in the process. Because <clears throat> that's, yeah. Anyway. All right. So last week we did our Noir November episode, which was a lot of fun. And um, we talked about some great stuff. But one of the topics and one of the questions that we got was about whether there is feminist film noir out there. And I really loved Lauren. I was so glad that you put this out and asked for other opinions since it was something that we were having a hard time with. So why don't you uh, talk a little bit about some of the, uh, some of the people, the, some of the titles that people were throwing out as so, examples. So, yeah. So I, 
anyone who listened last week uh, knows that we were talking about this and kind of kind of came to the conclusion that there isn't a lot of truly feminist. And I think that we do have to say that there's a difference between um, films that sort of, rep- as we talked about, that represent strong female characters and films mm-hmm. that are feminist. And right. there are definitely some films that you can read against the grain to a certain degree um, and characters that you can read against the grain, but there are fewer films, or at least we thought that there were fewer films that are actually really explicitly feminist works. Um, and when it comes to something like film noir, partially because of the time period that a lot of film noirs were made, but a number of people actually came up with some really good ones. Uh, one that was mentioned Nina Gilder, uh, mentioned Lara, which is, I mean, one of the quintessential film noirs. Yeah. Um, that was when I was like, Oh so- duh. Why did we not think of that one? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. A number of these, I was like, oh, yeah. Um, more than a few people mm-hmm. mentioned Bound, which I am about to, to show how what a terrible person I am. I have not seen it. I uh, haven't either. I know, I know of it, and I have heard of it, and it has you know, received a lot of praise, but I haven't actually seen it. Technically, it's a neo-noir. It's not a 1940s noir. But So Bound has, was mentioned um, a couple of times. Let's see what else. Uh, this was an interesting one. This is actually one of my favorites is um, The Naked Kiss. Which have which you seen have The Naked seen. Kiss? Mm-mm. It is, I mean, all of Samuel Fuller's films are very, they're a lot, in, in many ways, they're underground films. They're incredibly well-made films. They're also shocking when you consider the time periods that they were made in. The Naked Kiss actually features uh, a woman who is, she is a prostitute and she is abused and she kind of finally escapes from her abusive relationship and goes to live in a small town um, where she's trying to kind of remake herself. She's trying to leave all of her, her past behind. And then certain things begin catching up to her, but she also begins to come into contact with uh, a lot of other kinds of abusers. and. Um, and I'm not going to spoil the whole film, but it is, it is, a, it's a very feminist film. Hmm. Um, cool. not least, not least because you've got this incredibly strong, uh, and by strong female character, I mean, she's very powerful and she exudes a lot of strength and the film allows her to do that. And it is about, it's partially about redemption, but also about her own forgiveness of herself. Um, for, she's been exploited uh, and mm-hmm. she has been abused and she's been mistreated and she's trying to do good things and trying to use that experience to make life better for other people and to kind of heal herself. It's, it's a really fantastic film. All of Samuel Fuller's films are, are great films. One of his more famous ones is uh, Shock Corridor, which deals with um, mental illness and, uh, and racism in a very explicit way. Uh, but, so the naked kiss is a great one, and I wish that I had thought of it <laughs> uh, when we talked about it. Isn't that always the way, though? <laughs> <laughs> always, yeah. The other, the other one that was mentioned is mm-hmm. Douglas Sirk's uh, Lord, which is a um, early Lucille, well, not early, but 1940s Lucille Ball film in which she plays a um, a chorus girl who basically begins looking. There, there's a Jack the Ripper style killer who has been. Um, murdering women and she begins to search for this killer and she thinks there there are a couple of different people that she thinks it might be one of whom is George Sanders <laughs> because of course 
Uh, and that's a really interesting one. Again, all of these are films that kind of focalize through female characters more so than a lot of film noirs do. Um, Lara, of course, is, is very much about the imposition of the image on a woman and all of these different men kind of deciding what Lara is. And then Lara yeah. being like, well, actually, this is what I am, you know. Double Indemnity mm. was mentioned. We talked about that a little bit. Night of the Hunter, although I'm not certain whether that counts as a feminist film. I mean, it's more, it's the, that's the Charles Lawton film with um, Robert Mitchum. And it, it is about, it's about violent men, but it's not really, I guess that the Lillian Gish character could be read as a feminist character, but I'm not certain whether it counts as a feminist film. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Cat People from 1942. Though again, whether yeah. that's a noir is an open question. King Kong was also mentioned uh, as a, a noir, although it definitely right. has noir elements, but it's also a monster movie. So, but I thought that, you know, they, well, people actually came up with some great ones like I was surprised because I was like oh this doesn't really exist I was like actually you're right it does and I'm, I was glad to see that yeah well and it's fun when you, we can throw stuff out and get such great responses from people so we always we always get good interactions I love that so thanks everybody who contributed so yeah do you want to talk a little bit about what happened this week on Twitter when you angered the boys <laughs> Uh, since we're on the topic of feminism and film now instead of noir let's just talk about in general uh this was actually something that the the conversation was stupid Mm -hmm. um but it usually is when Zack Snyder fans are involved yeah I mean to I'm not gonna go into the whole details of everything but someone on Twitter had made a mention of Sucker Punch as being this story, this feminist film about strong female characters, and it was it was an, it was comparing it in reference to the new Charlie's Angels, and I was like, I beg your pardon, you know, uh, <laughs> that's not like Sucker Punch is not a feminist film; it's an incredibly misogynist film, and it's that massively incorrect to compare it to the new Charlie's Angels, which I think we're going to discuss it a little bit later, but that's mm-hmm. at worst. Charlie's Angels is a gentle and innocuous film. Yeah. Um, and this, of course, I, I did not think because I just don't, you know, the, the internet does not contribute to thinking. I was, I did not think about the fact that Sucker Punch was a Zack Snyder film. And Zack Snyder fans are out of their goddamn minds. (laughs) Yes, they are. And this kind of prompted a lot of very angry men, a few few angry women, but primarily very angry men, who, in order to prove that a film was not misogynist, began saying some very misogynist things, (laughs) which I always find kind of funny. Um, But one of the things that this actually got me thinking about is that the argument, when there was an argument, when it wasn't just like psychotic people, uh, when there was an actual argument that the the argument for a film like Sucker Punch was that, well, it represents a lot of, a a large cast of women, which it does, um, beating people up, which yes, absolutely, and kind of fighting back against this this patriarchal um, mindset. And of course, one of the issues that most critics have had with Sucker Punch, beyond the fact that it's a bad film, 
but in, is is the way that it represents the women that it, it's this fetishization, it's this objectification, it's this kind of quintessential um, misogynist male gaze. And we've talked about the male gaze on this podcast before. So even though, yeah, you have all of these ingredients for that that could, I think, under a different director or with a different plot or something like that, turn into something that is very feminist and very progressive, doesn't. And that just having a group of women being badasses in a film does not automatically make it feminist. So one of the things that I just wanted to talk about for a few minutes maybe is, is you know, how how we kind of balance those things out, how we talk about, you know, we could say, okay, Sucker Punch is not a feminist film, but I would argue that, um, you know, that, that the new Charlie's Angels is, uh, or Ocean's 8, or um, I'm hoping the, the, uh, um, the new, the Birds of Prey film that's going to be coming out in a little while which has a lot of similarities to some of the things that people were saying about Sucker Punch, but that hopefully, and you know, we'll wait and see what, what actually comes of it, um, looks at women in a very different way. Yeah. I mean, this is, this ties in, yeah, this ties into what we were talking about last week with, um, you know, just because there are women in your film and just because they kick ass doesn't mean it's feminist. And I don't understand why that's such a hard concept for people to grasp except for that for men, they don't understand what feminism actually is and they don't understand what we mean when we're asking for representation. They think it just means mm-hmm. showing your face on screen. And I mean, they clearly don't understand women. So how would they even know <laughs> if we're being represented well or not? <laughs> so as long as they get to see boobs, they don't care. Right. <laughs> well, and that was one of the things is that, it, yeah, is that then you come into this argument about like, well, are women not allowed to be sexy on screen? And it's like, it's not about women being sexy or not being sexy or it's, it's about who is in control. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that feminism generally, uh, usually, and, and there, there's some outliers in terms of feminism, but most feminist argument is not that women are not allowed to be sexual. In fact, there's an encouragement that women are sexual, but that the choice to be sexual or to not be sexual is the woman's choice. It's something that she gets to have a say over, not a man looking at her. So a a very good example uh, that I just thought of, and I can't believe I didn't even think of this, is Hustlers. I was totally thinking of Hustlers, Um, and I was going to bring it up, yeah. (laughs) And, and so we talked about it when we talked about that film is the way that the women are photographed, the way that the women are looked at, the way that the women own their own bodies and own the gaze of the camera. These are women who are stripping for men for a living. That's what they do. But they are in control of their bodies. They are in control of who gets to look at them and who doesn't get to look at them. And the film represents it like that. So these are very sexy women. Like these, this is Jennifer Lopez taking off most of her clothes, but there's Mm -hmm. a different valence to the way that the camera looks at her and the way that she looks back at the camera than there is in something like, in something like Sucker Punch or in something like the, the, uh, the McGee Charlie's Angels from the aughts. Right. There's, there's a difference in that gaze. 
Yeah. Well, and like you said, I mean, it's about who's in control, but that means two things. That means which characters are in control of their story. And that also means who is in control of telling the story. And when you have a story like Hustlers, if that had been told by a male director, there are very few that I would have trusted to as good a job as uh, is it Lorraine Scafaria did. Um, no, that's, I don't know. I'm getting my directors mixed up. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, I think so. Okay. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, I've seen so many movies in the last two weeks that I'm like, they're all mixing together in my head right now. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like there, there aren't that many male directors that truly understand the idea of female gaze and truly understand the idea of female agency and, and and control the way that we are are discussing it. And so that's the thing. When you talk about women being in control of their sexuality, that also means who's controlling how that sexuality comes across on screen, not just from the actors, but from the writers, the director, the camera operators, the everybody that is involved in that process too. Yeah, exactly. And so, as we mentioned just a few minutes ago, and and as we mentioned last week, there's a difference between reading a film against the grain as as, as finding feminism in kind of the undercurrents Mm -hmm. of it, and seeing a film that is in itself feminist. And there is a difference. Mm and and the and part of the difference isn't exactly what we're talking about. I think that probably you could make an argument of reading Sucker Punch against the grain. I think it would be hard. I don't think you'd be able to do the entire film because I think eventually the interpretive model would give out. You wouldn't be able to explain certain things by using this model. But I think you could do it. It is extraordinarily difficult. And none of the people that I was arguing with had any fucking clue what feminist film criticism actually was like or film criticism in general to be honest (laughs) yeah i i I was briefly informed that i wasn't a film (laughs) critic yeah and then i said well i i I mean i am that is a that's a thing that is a fact that's not something (laughs) that is debatable here and then informed me that well it doesn't really matter because film criticism doesn't count i'm like all right so whatever (laughs) but i also had a guy tell me that that uh, Laura Mulvey, whose essay I sent him, because I was like, this is what the male gaze is, uh, he, he informed me that Laura, that I was sending him propaganda. So <laughs> How dare you? These are, not, these are not the smartest people on the planet. <laughs> and, and so I don't, I don't believe that any of them are going to sit down and actually try to analyze Sucker Punch intelligently as a feminist film. Um, I don't think that they're mentally capable of that. Uh, no, these is this is the same. Sorry, no, this is the same type of guys that if they were to write a screenplay and they're writing about a you know their female lead, even if she t- turns out to be a badass like Sarah Connor or you know someone like that, there's still so much stupidity in the way that those characters are written on the page. Yeah. And then they say things like, she's beautiful, but doesn't know it. Or she, yeah. you know, like, it just, yeah. These that This is the guys that would write that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. But I, I do I do think that a, a good feminist film critic could probably get a reading against the grain interpretation out of Sucker Punch and, and make an argument for it, for it as being, as having 
feminist undercurrents, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Again, I think that that would probably fall apart. But it is not a feminist film. The only way you can get there is by reading it against itself. Um, And and you know what? And I I have to say, because this was something else that kept on coming up, that is not saying that Zack Snyder is a misogynist. I don't know Zack Snyder. I frankly don't care. Uh, You know, he might be a perfectly pleasant person that loves women and thinks they're great. I'm saying that the film is misogynist, Mm -hmm. period. Yeah. Uh, and perfectly free to disagree with me about that, but um, that's how that's how I see it, and that's how an awful lot of women see it. Right. Well, and I think that Zack Snyder is another example of what I was just talking about too. With like, he probably thinks, "Hey, this is a tough woman in this role. This is a great female character, and he it's it's not necessarily intended to be malicious or to be." Uh, to be misogynist or anything like that, but because he doesn't understand the, uh, the issues, he kind of accidentally (laughs) makes films that are not good represented representations of women. Yeah. And that, and that is why, as you're saying, that is why a a female director does make Mm -hmm. a difference. And that's not to say that women cannot objectify other women and women do. And women can be major guardians of the patriarchy, but there's a way that particularly female directors tend to look at women and hustlers is a good example of that. Yeah. That it's, it's different and you can feel the difference. And particularly, you know, I always encourage men to go and see these films because we know, like, you know, I know the experience now of sitting down and seeing a film like hustlers or wonder woman and feeling the difference in the way that the camera looks at, at gorgeous women, right? These are these are very attractive women, mm-hmm. um, and it's that sense it's that sense for a woman of being seen and of being treated as a subject and not an object. And I really do want men to see that and to be like, this is the difference. This is the mm-hmm. feeling. This is the experience. This is what we're talking about, uh, and this is what you feel constantly because. Yeah. The, the camera always looks at you like this. We never get this. And that that's incredibly important for men to see as well. Yeah. What I would love is for... And understand. Yeah, exactly. What I would love is for someone like Zack Snyder making his next film and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have a female lead in this. Actually talk to women and say, hey, help me write this script. Help me tell this story. Maybe I should produce and encourage your directorial vision and I, you know, instead of just taking it all upon himself to tell that story and hoping that he gets it right or thinking that he's getting it right. So, yeah. Well, and it's, it's the difference. And we talked about this when the films came out, it's the difference between the way that Wonder Woman was looked at in Wonder Woman and the way that she was looked at in Justice League. Oh, totally. Uh, the way that the Amazons were represented in Wonder Woman and the way that they were represented in Justice League. And it's not, it's not even really about costuming, although it is to a certain extent. It's about the way the camera looks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it is this difference between object and subject. Right. And that's just so important. Yeah. Yeah. Like when, when you see her in the middle of a fight in Wonder Woman and it's like, this establishing shot where she's just like ready for this fight. And then you see something like that in justice league. And of course the camera has to like sweep up her beautiful naked leg, you know, and like up into, you know, it's Mm -hmm. just, it's very different. And, and the difference is what, what is the goal of that shot? 
Is it to show that she's tough or to show that she's sexy? Yeah. Well, someone who has not proven that he can make good movies about women is Noah Hawley, who, you know, gets to fail up because he's a white dude. (laughs) So after making the absolutely wretched Lucy in the Sky, which did you see that? No, no, because everyone warned me off of it. (laughs) Save yourself. Yeah, never. Like, let's just after this. After this part of this podcast, let's never speak of that movie again because it's, like, bad. It was one that, as I was watching it, I was trying to find things to appreciate about it. And there were some things. It's not, not like, the worst movie I've even seen this year. But uh, it's just, I kept thinking, oh, my gosh, the real story is so much better than what he's doing here. And it's so frustrating. Uh But anyway, so because he made a terrible movie that made zero money, it made like $300,000, I'm not even exaggerating, and it was panned by critics and by the audience as well. Uh, So because of all that, because he's proven how successful he can be, he gets to direct a Star Trek movie. Because why not? (laughs) It, It really is just so, it's so predictable, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, yeah. and and you know, people have pointed out that he he's he's been responsible for Fargo. He's been responsible for Legion, both of which have been very well reviewed and good television shows, right? But mm-hmm. his first feature film was beyond yeah. anything else a total fucking flop. Like, mm-hmm. you know, people are are going on about how Elizabeth banks had a flop with charlie's angels just like no no no. this was a flop which made flop. some money <laughs> it made millions of dollars yeah like yeah at least she opened with what eight million dollars he made three hundred thousand in his entire theatrical run which theaters dropped it pretty quickly so i think that was about 10 days but still with yeah. with a major star i mean natalie portman is not small potatoes in any in any exactly. world you know this was yeah. a major well, and john ham yeah, yeah. mm-hmm it's just yeah, and there was a studio behind it too. So yeah, I just I don't and the th- yeah I just kept thinking about this and it's there are so many women who just need a shot, you know. And it's like why do we keep yeah. having to tell this story over and over and over again? I was talking to a friend the other day, and he was like, I can't believe that after. Lucy in the Sky came out. Then they go and say, hey, now we want you to make this movie. And I said, you know, I don't think that's what happened. I think this movie, I think this deal was already in the works. They're just now announcing it. And so I think it was already planned before Lucy in the Sky even came out. And he's just like, well, really? Why would you think that? And I said, well, I think that if Lucy in the Sky had come out first, they probably wouldn't have hired him. But unlike see this is the thing everyone wants to criticize kathleen kennedy for firing directors and i do think that she's guilty of hiring too quickly but one of the things i really do appreciate about her is the fact that she's willing to stick her neck out and say you know what we made a mistake and this isn't the right person we're gonna let them go and we're gonna fix this and i don't know i haven't seen any other studio head that's willing to do that Especially not multiple times. And so that's why I was like, I really think he already had the job before. They're not going to go ahead and fire him now because they're not Kathleen Kennedy and they're not willing to do that. Yeah. I mean, that that makes sense. That makes sense. But, but you know, you get, yeah. I mean, talking about Elizabeth Banks, you, you get these, these female directors that, 
you know, get put in director jail for having a failure. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, and sometimes it is just a failure of numbers. It's not like it's a film was badly reviewed or anything like that. It just doesn't hit in the way that it needs to, for whatever reason. And, and they, and they're just like, and they don't work for 15 years, you know? And yeah, well, yeah, an example of that is Mimi Leader. We've talked yeah. about her a few times on this podcast. And it's like, she did Deep Impact, which was one of the first films directed by a woman to gross over $100 million at the box office. And then uh, then she went on to do The Peacemaker, which had Nicole Kidman and George Clooney. And even though nobody really remembers that movie now, it actually did pretty well when it was out. And then she did Pay It Forward, which didn't make any money. And... So that landed her in director's jail and she could not make another movie Mm -hmm. for years until on the basis of sex. She had to work in television because she didn't have any other options. And then on the basis of sex came out and it didn't make any money. So it's like, what does this mean for her? And the thing about it is every one of those movies is good. Pay It Forward maybe isn't as great as, as some of the other stuff that she's done, but she has not made a bad movie. Mm-hmm. And she keeps getting punished, whereas directors who have made multiple terrible movies keep getting handed $100 million budgets. Yeah. Well, that that's what I, I think is so maddening. I think that if someone like Noah Hawley, we would be willing to be like, okay, fine, whatever, he fucked up once. If it wasn't so incredibly obvious that this that the only people that are allowed to fuck up once or twice or three times are white men. Um, mm-hmm that you're not allowed to fuck up otherwise people you know i I remember even talking about this with um my roommate earlier this year we were talking about the the critical response to jordan peele's us right and and the way that people talk about his films and he's made two films so far uh right and and they both been very good films and i think i think that get out is a better film than us but i really liked us in a lot of ways but this terror that i feel even of like when he has a flop like a film that fails and he's going to he's gonna make a bad film at some point Mm -hmm. unless he just retires now right um you know how how are people going to actually react to that is he going to have enough enough clout by that point that he's going to be able to weather it or is he going to wind up some becoming someone like Mimi Letter, someone who's just going to get pushed to the side and be like, well, he's, he's a failure now. Um, and, you know, you talk about someone like him, and I, I don't have the same fear for someone like Ari Aster, who I think makes worse films than Jordan Peele does. Oh, absolutely. Already. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if Ari Aster has a critical or an audience flop, I don't think that he's just going to go away. I don't have that same kind of fear for him. Um because he's a white dude, like the, and you know that isn't fair. That's not fair to anybody. Exactly. Really. Yeah. Exactly. And it's. I mean, I understand that the reason, the biggest reason that this keeps happening, and it's always, you know, it's always been such a problem, is the fact that Hollywood is still controlled by by mostly white men. Um, mm-hmm. But as we're seeing the industry change, and we're seeing the numbers start to shift, not a lot, but they are starting to shift we're still seeing this problem. And the thing is, it's like, it's weird to me that studio executives and heads of, you know, presidents and stuff, the fact that they're seeing the industry change, they know that they're on the chopping block because people are wanting their jobs and are coming for them. And they're still doing the same thing. They're not shifting with the times. Like, 
you know, if the head of Warner Brothers said, you know what, our next six major, you know, franchise films are all going to be directed by women, that would say so much for that person. And mm-hmm. it would, that would send a big message that the industry is really ready to change. But the fact that even when they see their jobs on the line, they're still willing to stick their neck out for their buddies and for these mediocre guys, I just don't understand it. There, there's still even even I think among female executives, yeah, uh, of of which there are a few. I, I there's still this Kathleen Kennedy is another one. There's still <laughs> yeah. patriarchal, mm-hmm. yeah. There's there's still that patriarchal mindset of and you know like and we can criticize it all we want and people do and critics talk about it and high profile critics talk about it. You know, it's it's a constant refrain. Um, but there's still this insularity and there's still this, this idea that white men are always going to be the default. Right. Uh, and you know, so I, I don't entirely get why, because you feel like if you're losing money on things, uh, because white men keep on making mediocre movies at at a certain point, you got to go like, something's not right. You know, we don't, the whole point of this business is to make money. Right, exactly. Um, but I, I think that that's going to take a long time to, to finally break through. But as, as you're saying, there are there are breaks that are happening. And people, to get to give them credit, people like Kathleen Kennedy are willing to fire uh, Colin Trevorrow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, and people like him. And people like um, Ava DuVernay and Jordan Peele are kind of coming up as producers and of really encouraging young talent and particularly people of color and women and really like lifting up those kinds of filmmakers and being like, we, you know, we want to give our support to them, but it's still, it's still just a a small drop in the bucket as it were. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we've been at this for two years and we're still talking about so many of the same, the same things. This is an industry that doesn't move quickly and it's going to take a really long time for things to really, truly look different. I mean, I'm glad to see more and more different types of films that are coming out. Um, and that's great. I just, you know, the actual changes that need to happen yeah. behind the scenes, too, and on screen as well. Uh, those those take a lot more time. So it's a process. And it's one of those things that's like... Yeah, I want it to change overnight, but it can't and it won't. We just have to keep fighting the good fight. So, um, I mentioned I've seen a ton of movies lately and oh my gosh, like I just, my mail goes to my landlords and I, they live in a house in the front of mine. So I have to like stop by and pick it up once in a while. And, um, I last got it two days ago and I just got it when I got home tonight and it was like, the stack was unbelievable. I was like... (laughs) Oh my gosh, there are not enough hours left in the year to watch half of these, <laughs> but especially when I also have a full-time job. But I've been trying because um, my group, LAOFCS, we actually have to turn in our nomination ballots tomorrow, so I'm trying to see as many as I can. So I've seen a few things in the last uh, couple weeks, and I just wanted to kind of quickly run through some of those. Um, there was Queen and Slam, which was the opening night movie at AFI. And I really wanted to love it. And I think that there are some good things about it. But and I think it's really important. And it's a film that I don't feel like I'm the right person to really discuss it in depth. I think Mm -hmm. that that's something that um, 
I would love to talk more with critics of color about it. Um, but I think that there are some things that some missed opportunities, especially with the script. And I felt like the tone was a little bit odd and inconsistent. And so, uh, so I can't say that I love that one, but I also, like I said, I don't feel like I'm necessarily the right person to talk intelligently about it either. So, um, but one that I do feel very confident talking about and also didn't love is Bombshell, <laughs> which, uh, I saw last weekend and, uh, it's going to be interesting cause they want me to interview the writer and my biggest problem with the film is the fact that it's directed and written by men. <laughs> um, of course, Bombshell is about the the situation at Fox News where Gretchen Carlson and then later Megyn Kelly came forward and accused Roger Ailes of sexual harassment. Um, also, Bill O'Reilly went down in the midst of all of that, too. There ended up being a huge settlement at Fox to some of these women because a bunch actually ended up came, coming forward. And so this is about that story. And... Uh, the thing is that there are a lot of, you know, a lot of people were really uncomfortable, like, oh, I don't want to see a movie that turns Gretchen Carlson and Megan Kelly into, like, the heroes of the story. My thing was that if you're going to make this movie and you're going to tell this story, it's not about turning them into heroes, but you have to make them human. And I didn't feel like that happened in this. I felt like they were very one-dimensional there, uh, I think Gretchen Carlson was treated, which is played by Nicole Kidman. I think she was treated a little. Everyone's praising Charlize Theron's performance, but I'm just like, this is a caricature. I felt like I was watching a dramatic episode of Saturday Night Live where everyone's just just doing really good impersonations, and it's not really performances, and there's no real um, depth or expl- exploration of who they are. And I'm sure that that's something that a lot of people will appreciate because they don't really care about who they are as people. But if you're gonna bother to tell this story, then, then be fair about it. And, uh, it's really interesting to me that the only person in it that felt real and felt like a fully fleshed out human being was the character played by Margot Robbie, who does not exist. So there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually would like for us to have a more in-depth conversation once you have the opportunity to see that, because it doesn't come out until the end of December, uh, or sometime in December, I'm not sure when, but... I'm I'm certain that we'll talk about it some more, particularly... It sounds like it's, it is it is likely to have some kind of awards conversation. Oh, very definitely. Yeah. Like, it's, even though I'm not putting it on my ballot anywhere, um, it this is going to get multiple nominations, very likely. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is going to be one that we're talking about for the next couple of months, for sure. Um, let's see. I've also seen... I saw The Two Popes again. I still love it. It's going to be on Netflix soon. Watch it. It's delightful. Um, Jonathan Price is just... I adore him. Uh, and Anthony Hopkins is so good, too. So, yeah, love that one. Uh, I finally, finally saw Clemency with Alfre Woodard, and that's the movie where she's a prison warden who is, she oversees a prison that has the death, uh, has death row. And uh, basically, the very beginning of the movie opens on an execution that goes a little bit wrong. I mean, it's weird to call an execution botched when the person still dies, but uh, something does not go according to plan and it really messes with her mind and makes her really start to get uh, introspective about what she's doing and what she plays a part in. And as she has another 
execution coming up. And so the movie itself, I think overall, uh, it could have been better, but she's really good. And Aldous Hodge is really good too. He plays uh, one of the inmates. And so uh, if you get a chance to check that one out, I would also recommend that. I also got to finally see the animated Leica film Missing Link from earlier this year with uh, Uh. Hugh Jackman and Zach Galifianakis. That was cute. I don't know why people totally ignored it. I didn't think it was amazing, but I liked it. I thought it was adorable. Did you ever see that one? It's I, I haven't, but I think it's on Hulu. <laughs> I think it might be. But yeah, they sent me the screener and I was like, oh, yeah, I haven't seen enough animated films this year. I'll pop this one in. And I was just like, oh, this is charming. I like it. So I mean, I, I like um, I like yeah. Leica. So I'm mm-hmm. I, it's, it's been on my Hulu queue for a little while. So I'm certain I'll watch it at some point. Yeah. And then the movie I just saw this week, uh, last night, actually, which doesn't come out for another couple weeks, is Richard Jewell, which is Clint Eastwood's new movie. And I was expecting Mm -hmm. this to be a total disaster, like his last couple of movies have been. And I was surprised. I was pleasantly surprised most of it. Paul Walter Hauser plays Richard Jewell, who was the security guard who... Uh, basically saved a whole lot of people because he noticed that there was a suspicious backpack during the 96 Atlanta games. Uh, There was a concert going on and he noticed this backpack and he alerted people and he got a bunch of people out of the way, saved a lot of lives. But then there was this narrative that formed afterwards as the FBI is investigating where they thought that he was the one who was actually responsible for it and was doing it to make himself look good. And so the movie is about that. And, um, uh, John Hamm plays one of the FBI agents and he's just so despicable and charming and it just always messes with my head when I'm like I hate you but you're hot um, <laughs> <laughs> and then Sam Rockwell like this just I've been a little bit worried the last few years about Sam Rockwell and I've had a crush on him for a long time ever since Galaxy Quest but the last couple of years have been a little bit uh, have been testing that love and uh this it's like i don't know what it was about just seeing him so calm and confident and just in control and wearing cargo pants while he's you know doing all this stuff i'm just like man <laughs> he's just hot and kathy bates is kathy bates and she's amazing i will say there's a major problem with this movie and that is in the ver- in the form of olivia wilde who plays kathy scruggs who was the reporter uh, at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution who broke the story that the FBI was investigating Richard Jewell. That was something that they were keeping really quiet. And somehow she found this out and printed it. And that was what really set off this big firestorm and basically just, like, ruined his life for a while. And because uh, because of that article, there are a lot of people who even to this day, still think he was the one who did it, even though they actually eventually caught the guy and he confessed and pled guilty and is in Supermax somewhere like in Mm. Colorado. Um, But, but yeah, the problem is that Kathy Scruggs died in 2001. And so she's not here to defend the fact that they basically, not even basically, they flat out say that she traded sex for, for scoops and that she got the information by sleeping with one of the agents And it's like, wow, this is really fucked up because the editors at the paper say there's no evidence that she ever did anything like that. There weren't rumors about her being that kind of person. Nothing. This is just something they completely made up for this movie. And she's not around to say like, hey, fuck you guys. That's not what happened. Uh And it that really sucks. And that 
if her character had been part a bigger part of the movie, because they really do focus on how fucked up the FBI was during all of this. Um, if she had played a bigger part, it actually would have ruined the movie. That's how egregious it was. But she's in it just just rarely enough that it's like they put the focus where they really should, which is mostly on Richard and his mom and his attorney, which is who Sam Rockwell plays. And so it, it's like, okay. I can separate what they're doing with her and and appreciate what this movie really is trying to do. Mm-hmm. But but it still made me mad and I'm like fuck you Clint Eastwood. You can't do one movie where you have like <laughs> without having a terrible female character or whatever. <laughs> anyway. Um well, yeah, Clint, so that's Clint, kind of a Clint definitely has issues. I mean, oh, there's no yes. question about that. <laughs> Very much so, yeah. So that's a quick rundown of what I've seen, but you saw something you wanted to talk about, too. Oh, I just wanted to give... I, I wrote my review on the website, so all, all of my like complex thoughts are there. I just wanted to say that Charlie's Angels is a lot of fun, you guys. Like, it actually is. Have you seen it? You haven't seen it yet? Nope. Mm-mm. Okay. Not yet. It is so much fun. Like, and I, I went in being like, oh, this will be enjoyable. Like, regardless, you know, it's Kristen Stewart. Kristen Stewart's hot. Like, I'll, <laughs> I'll enjoy myself. Um, but it actually is just a lot of fun. It's funny. It's very irreverent. Um, it, But it actually does, it, it takes itself seriously. Like, it doesn't represent these women as just kind of campy, silly girls. It's actually like, no, they're they're good spies and good fighters and good killers and there's some serious shit that goes down and i liked that i liked the fact that there was this balance of humor but it wasn't so reliant on camp which is really the only way that you can watch the mcgee films is is the the campiness of the the characters and and that's those are their strengths and that's fine but I liked the fact that this film actually takes itself a little more seriously and treats these characters with a little more seriousness. Yes, it's corporate. Yes, there's like this fluffy girl powerness. But you know what? It's for teenage girls. And the teenage girls that were in the movie theater that I was in were having a fucking blast. As were, by the way, the 30-year-old women like me and the 50-year-old <laughs> women. Everyone was having a lot of fun. And that's kind of what this film is about. And it's... Is it the best film ever made? No, but it is so much fun and it does not deserve the hate that it has been getting. Uh, everyone's good in it. Elizabeth Banks is hilarious. She's, she's got some great lines, but again, she also like is actually taking things seriously. And I like that about them. I like the fact that the men are all buffoons, basically, who <laughs> often very deluded buffoons. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's nice to see, honestly. And, you know, we were talking earlier about the female gaze. I got halfway through this film and I was like, there has not been a single tit or ass shot in this entire film. And that's not to say that these are, again, not sexy women. They are women who are being sexy, who sometimes really, like, dress themselves up and all of that. And part of the whole point of that is that they're just like, we can get into anywhere and do anything just by, just by looking pretty. And... But we're actually these total badasses who are going to kick your fucking ass because you underestimate us because we're women. And I loved that. I loved that about the film. It's great fun. I'm sorry it is not done as well as it has, but I'm really, really glad that it exists. So I just wanted to say that. It's like, fuck all y'all. Go see the movie. (laughs) 
<laughs> awesome. Yeah, I, I really do want to see it as soon as I get through like this week or so. Maybe I think over Thanksgiving weekend, I'm going to go check it out because I really do want to see it. So yeah, it's it's just a good time, honestly. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you. All right. Well, that's going to close things up. I know it's a little bit of a shorter episode this week, but I have to run and go watch more movies. So, uh, (laughs) yeah. But thank you so much for joining us, as always. You can continue the conversation with us in lots of different ways. We're on Twitter and Instagram, at CitizenDamePod. We're on Facebook, Facebook.com slash CitizenDame. You can email us, CitizenDamePod at gmail.com, or vis- and be sure to visit, not and, or whatever. I don't know. Go to our website, <laughs> CitizenDamePod.com, and find Lauren's review of Charlie's Angels, and all the reviews that we write about how much men are stupid, and they don't understand female movies um if you want to kick us some money we always love that we do have some bills that are coming up we got to pay keep things going um but you can do that a couple ways we've got our patreon patreon.com slash citizen dame it's been a little wonky lately so if you've been a subscriber and you're having some issues could you let us know because we're trying to figure it out um but yeah you get access to episodes a little bit early we're gonna have some bonus content we're working up so lots of fun and then we also have our zazzle store zazzle.com slash citizen dame where lauren just put up some new buttons and that's fun so go check those out and then we also have our ko-fi account ko-ko hyphen fi fi.com slash citizen dame and you can find us personally lauren where are you i am at lh business And I am at Karen M. Peterson. That is it for this week. Thank you so much once again, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. I think women can do anything. Just because they can doesn't mean they should. (laughs) But I have so many talents. It's like I'm powerful with a little bit of tender. I'm just a decoy star.